Hi, this is Jeannie Patel-Thompson from www.listentoyourgut.com. That's listen with a numeric to yourgut.com. I specialize in natural healing for digestive diseases, but today um, we're going to expand the parameters a little bit, and I'm talking with clinical nutritionist Jim Emke about natural alternative treatments for cancer. Now, the reason I'm talking with Jim is that although he is a you know, technically a clinical nutritionist, he has actually apprenticed with a phenomenal number of doctors uh, and specialists in this field and directly related to cancer, Dr. William Donald Kelly being just one of them. And he has um, trained and certified with, I mean, if I started listing the doctors that he's spent, you know, I guess a total of three decades um, traveling to and studying with. We'd be here all day, so Jim, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you know what? I got to give a couple of the highlights. Okay, so we've got Dr. William Donald Kennel, Kenny Kelly. Um, you did iridology with Dr. Bernard Jensen, blood chemistry with Dr. Right. Bachman, Dr. Richard Murray, hair analysis with Dr. X, Dr. Watts, amino acid therapy training with Dr. Pangborn, Dr. Erdman, nutrient therapy with Dr. Jeffrey Bland. Dr. Jonathan Wright, and you also did bioidentical hormone therapy with Dr. Jonathan Wright, who has now become huge because um, Suzanne Summers wrote about him in her latest book. Um, uh-huh. so, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, my pleasure, and, Jeannie. Glad to be with you. Yeah, and, and the reason I asked you to come here is because your, your holistic knowledge of health and diagnostics and efficacy, like what actually is going to work for patients, is, um, you know, out of the hundreds of health professionals I talk to, you, you really stand out. So um, we're here to pick your brain about natural cancer treatments. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. Okay. So let's just get right into it. If somebody comes, because this is, this is, the, this is the scenario, one of my readers emailed me, and uh, his mom has been diagnosed with cancer, very systemic cancer, you know, hitting a number of organs, her intestines, everything. And uh, he said, you know, I know you're not a cancer expert, but, you know, you've got, you've got such good ideas and such good advice, I thought maybe you would know somewhere you could point me in a direction. And that's when, of course, I thought of you and I, and I, I talked to you briefly and I actually recommended that he call you. So this sort of, you know, made me think, you know, well, he's right. You know, you, let's say a loved one has just been diagnosed. You go on the Internet now, there are thousands of web pages on alternative natural cancer treatments. But where do you start? How do you know what's effective for somebody? So that's going to be my first question. Jim, I've come to you. My mom has been diagnosed with cancer. I need treatment now. What, in your experience, are the natural trans- cancer treatments that actually work? For the highest number of people. Uh huh. Wow, that's uh, that's a powerful question to start with. Um, I think the most important thing is to recognize first and foremost that cancer is a systemic condition, and it's not. It may manifest itself in localized tumors and localized symptoms and, and issues of that nature, but fundamentally, it's a systemic condition, and right. so you have to change the body chemistry uh, that's underlying the cause of the cancer in the first place. And there are many different techniques of doing that, um, and, and they're all, you know, I shouldn't say they're all, but many of them are, are fairly valid. But first and foremost, body chemistry is influenced by many different things, including emotions, um, diet, lifestyle considerations, supplement intake, detoxification. You know, those are the big things that really create the body chemistry that we live with. I think we might have mentioned Candace Pert's work in our last interview when we were talking about, um, you know, Crohn's and, and irritable bowel-type situations, and um, her her work that established that the gut, you know, is is uh, has more receptor sites for the molecules of emotion than any other part of the body except the limbic system, and uh, that was a bit shocking in the early 90s. But when you're looking at body chemistry, you can't ignore that deep-seated fundamental emotions, primal things of that nature, are extremely influential on body chemistry. So that's that's, right. yeah. that's always an important part of dealing with. Um, uh, cancer, the systemic condition uh, that we call cancer, regardless uh, of, how, of regardless of how it manifests itself. Sorry about those uh, beeps there. So, no problem. actually, um, you know what? that reminds me, Jim. I got to jump in there for a minute. That reminds yeah. me of another teleseminar I did with uh, 
Dr. Gabor Mate, who's the author of the international bestseller, When the Body Says No. And in there, of course, he talks a lot about cancer, um, you know, and, and exactly what you're talking about, about how the, the mind, the emotions, the psychological, the belief patterns affect the actual biochemistry of the body. And he gives an example of um, this cancer clinic, and they did an experiment where they, because people went there for assessment or to find out if, you know, something was, you know, malignant or whatnot. So, but they did this experiment where they just pulled the intake receptionist who just met the patient for, you know, whatever the five or ten minutes while they were filling out the forms. And they said, uh-huh. is this person going to have cancer or not? And the receptionists were, were able to predict <laughs> with something like 98% accuracy who was going to be positive sure. or not. Because they're, they're, you know, and we've all heard about the cancer personality, you know, I mean, classic is the inability to express anger appropriately, right? So definitely there's huge weight to what you're saying. Exactly, because you have to change body chemistry. If you don't change the underlying chemistry, then you're not going to have success no matter what particular cancer technique you employ, whether it's the Kelly program or, uh, you know, uh, Simoncini's program or uh, there's so many out there that you could, uh, you know, be the various uh, clinics in Mexico, uh, Contreras, et cetera, um, they all have little twists and different approaches, but fundamentally they're all geared towards changing body chemistry. And if you don't change that underlying chemistry, then you aren't really going to have success. Um, or what I've yeah. seen is people will get success and then it all comes back. because they Right. That's, that's one of the dilemmas for those of us who do a fair amount of alternative cancer type therapy is to see people succeed for a period of time and then to see relapses um, because the chemistry really hasn't shifted. Now, at a more physiological level, you want to alkalize the body chemistry, and I think there's very you know, little disagreement on that. Americans live in a highly acidic environment, uh, from pollution to chemicals, um, and then, of course, the food that we eat is predominantly 80% acid-causing food as opposed to the alkaline foods. And by and large, there are exceptions, but your fruits, your vegetables um, are your alkaline foods. Your nuts and seeds are generally anywhere from neutral to slightly acidic, uh, your, your your beans and legumes are moderately acidic. Um, proteins in general are moderately acidic to extremely acidic, um, depending upon the type of protein. Now, if they're raw, they're more or less neutral. So raw meat, uh, raw fish, for example, would not have near the acidifying impact of um, of a cooked protein. Same thing with raw milk. Right. We've talked, <clears throat> excuse me, a bit about raw milk, quite a bit about raw milk. And depending upon whose you know acid alkaline chart you look at, um, you know the old timers considered raw milk to be basically a neutral food, not acidic, not alkaline. But when you cook it, pasteurize it, homogenize it, alter it, and do what we do to milk and milk products, they become significantly acidic. And the bottom line is the American diet is overwhelmingly acidic, and cancer loves an acid environment um, when it doesn't do well in an alkaline environment. And I guess you could well, say it that. Did. The, this that point plugs into Dr. Simoncini's, um, right. you know, assertion that cancer is actually a fungus, and so mm-hmm. of course it thrives in acidic. And the way to kill it is to make it alkaline using, you know, sodium bicarbonate baking soda. Good old baking soda. I think there's a book out there, The Cures in the Cupboard. Was that Cass Igram? <laughs> it's a good title. <laughs> yeah. And I all say uh, Simoncini, but is it is it uh, Simoncini? Is that how you pronounce it properly? I, I was thinking, well, it's Italian. I think it's Simoncini. Tulio then you would know. Yeah, Simoncini. Uh, but basically, he's become a, you know very well known, and he's got a very sophisticated um, uh, variety of approaches towards um, using sodium bicarbonate, baking soda, um, topically um, injectable and IV. And he has isolated the arteries that feed the blood supply to the various glands and organs. And um, basically, if you put a, a port in those arteries and um, put in the proper amount of um, baking soda, sodium bicarbonate, um, you can significantly alkalize um, that environment. Now, that's a pretty good approach, but again, it doesn't necessarily change the underlying systemic chemistry, uh, which is emotional and and lifestyle-related. So you always want to work on the... and, and, And detoxification, too, because one of the biggest causes of acidity in the human body is the accumulation of waste and debris from faulty diet and lifestyle habits uh, over gener- over decades. And yeah. that's why detoxification is such a profound way to change body chemistry dramatically and systemically. 
and to change body chemistry through detoxification, you have to start in the bowel because the bowel feeds the, all the blood to the liver, or not all the blood, but a very major part of the liver's blood supply comes directly from the intestinal tract through the portal system. And if you change the health of the colon and the small intestine and the gut, the entire intestinal tract, you improve dramatically the quality of the blood supply that's going to the liver. You can then work and detoxify the liver. When you clean up the liver and the blood that it processes, you're cleaning up every cell in the body because that blood is going you know, throughout the body. And the liver right. being the head chemist, right. when you work with, with the gut and the liver and the blood, you're cleaning out the whole system except for perhaps the lymph system, which is another technique of detoxification. But detoxing is a physical way that you can dramatically change body chemistry in short periods of time and alkalize systemically along with, like, Simon Cheney's approach to, um, you know, use uh, sodium bicarbonate specifically on target organs uh, to eradicate the fungus and the cancer at that point. Um, along with the alkalizing diet, along with the right types of supplements, particularly enzyme-rich supplements, and that's another subject that is very important to consider here in the mix of things. Then you put together a program. So I don't know that I could say that you go to this person or you do this system. It's really combining, you know, organically, if you will, holistically, a variety of things that need to come into play in order to really change the underlying chemistry that supported and allowed the cancer to develop in the first place. Right, and you know, I think I think you've hit on a really key, um, you know, illumination there because because you know, of course, most of our information comes from the mainstream medical pharmaceutical. We right. sort of automatically think, okay, cancer, you've got a tumor or mass or growth. Tumor mass or growth is gone. Cancer's gone. So even when we carry that over and we apply it to natural healing methods, we go okay, well, I had this cancer, and then I did, uh, you know, Dr. Simoncini's baking soda treatment, and it's gone, I'm cured, great, cancer's gone. And it's, what you're saying is, is, is very crucial to say, no, the evidence of the cancer is gone, but the cancerous conditions, the cancerous state throughout the entire body still exists until you, as you said, address alkalinity, address detoxification, and address the emotional um, you know, factors that are, that are contributing to those states. Right, exactly, Jeannie. Beautiful summary. And the, the other thing that I didn't mention that I think fits into here in kind of a unique way, I'm not exactly sure where to plug it into one of those categories, uh, would be the hormone foundation of the person. And, of course, right. there are genetic considerations as well. Um, but the hormone situation, like Kelly, he was so far ahead of his time. We studied with him in 77 and received his um, certification as a satellite clinic. We were in his first graduation class. And he knew then that estrogen was and was pushing the cancerous process, initiating that there had to be this spark, this catalyst, a cellular, at a cellular level for this cancer, you know, process to, for the cancer process to really flower, even though the underlying chemistry is there, you need you know the acidity and the the emotional makeup and the underlying chemistry is there, but you need that spark. And chemistry, um, excuse me, Kelly felt that hormones were the spark, and it was primarily estrogen. Now in for the seventies, well as women, for men and for women, estrogen. yes. Like say for example, prostate cancer. Let's get specific as a male cancer. You know, if if testosterone was the cause of prostate cancer, then why don't young men have prostate cancer? Um, when you know, take a 25 year old man, his uh, prostate, his uh, p- uh, testosterone level is 800, and that would be fairly routine. By the time that, but at the time he's 25 and his testosterone is 800, his estrogen, his estradiol is only 20, maybe less. By the time that same person is 65 years of age, his testosterone is now 400. And his, tes- his estradiol is 40. So the ratio between testosterone to estradiol is the key here for men. And that's why when men age, they develop prostate cancer, because they become estrogen dominant. They become more and feminine. They grow breasts. They get softer. Does it have to be just natural estrogen? Because, you know, we get a lot of the xenoestrogens from environment, from synthetic clothing, from plastics. Do those perform the same function, can they trigger, or is it only your own body's natural estrogen that can trigger? It's both. I believe strongly it's both. I mean, we live, like you say, in a xenoestrogen um, supplemented world, you know, 
and yeah. from plastics to all these, like you said, clothing and bedding and whatever. I mean, we've just uh, allowed industry to indiscriminately put out substances which are very detrimental to our health, very adverse to body chemistry. And then hormonally, we're talking steroid hormones. These are the power brokers of the body. I mean, this is this is real powerful stuff that we're playing with. And we've contaminated our environment tremendously with xenoestrogens. There's no doubt about that. So I think it's right. both. But the point is, is that the estrogen to testosterone ratio, when 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 it's when it's 800 to 20, you know, you're at a 40 to one ratio, and now it's 400 to 40, you're at a 10 to one ratio. You've dramatically shifted the estrogen to testosterone balance in men as they age. And then, of course, the environmental estrogens, where regardless of where the estrogens are coming from, estrogen is the cause of prostate cancer, excess estrogen, at a hormonal level, in addition to all the other things we're talking about with underlying body chemistry, acidity, et cetera, et cetera, emotions, on and on. Um, right. So, and Kelly knew this, but he didn't even know then that there are three different types of estrogen in the body, you know, E1, which is estrone, E2, which is estradiol, and E3, which is estriol and that the balance between them and then the estrogen metabolites that they um that are formed from the three basic estrogens uh you know are either highly carcinogenic or non-carcinogenic and you can actually do testing to determine what your estrogen status is along with testosterone and progesterone and DHEA and cortisone and cortisol and the other types of steroid hormones which all enter into this bigger profile of hormone involvement right and and just another little aside on that, Jeannie, is that when you live in a highly stressed environment, uh, emotionally, primal depth, you know, from who knows where, um, all the emotions that go into who we are emotionally come from, uh, birthing, childhood, whatever. Some people believe in past life, some people don't. I don't know about that, and it's not important to me, but it all f- fits into this uh, bigger profile, and it catalyzes uh, the chemistry uh, and it, it plays directly into the cortisol-cortisone uh, stress hormone chemistry of the adrenal glands, which is also a very big part of this profile. Right. Wow. So somebody comes to you and they've been diagnosed. Uh, what's, where do you start? What do you tell them? Well, I, I, first do? of all, I want to see, I know this is going to sound terrible, but I want to see if I can scare the person off because in a way... If I, I don't I don't mean that ruthlessly. I just mean that I want them to know what they're what they're going to have to do to really do the work. I want them to know that they're going to have to make a major commitment to doing the emotional, spiritual, psychological work that uh, is imperative. And I'm going to ask them to use music. I'm going to ask them to use counseling when necessary. I'm going to ask them to use color therapy. I'm going to ask them to put these. I mean, because you know, music cuts to your core. It cuts through so much mental chatter. It can touch you and move you. And you can have remarkable emotional clarity and experiences of the heart through music that are just remarkable. Uh, and, you know, harp music and, and you know, the Pachelbel type uh, uh, canon and D type music, which has been touted by many people, uh, color, you want to, and, 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 and dealing with issues around uh, forgiveness. I really think that, in a way, forgiveness is the catalyst of the whole emotional realm to shift things. Because if you really forgive everybody, everything, including yourself, you pull the rug out from underneath the ego. So I'm going to recommend books, Bernie Siegel, Love, Medicine, Miracles, other people that have really delved into this. Um, and I'm going to work with their gut and so we can change the dopamine, the serotonin, because as we've talked in the past, 80% of a person's serotonin and dopamine is produced in the intestinal tract. So when you clean up the intestinal tract, you, you facilitate this whole process. And I'm going to tell them what's involved to do the detoxification work. Are you prepared to make this commitment? I'm going to lay it on the line because they need to know that this is a complete full-time job. This is an all-encompassing lifestyle adjustment that they have to make a a 100% commitment to for a year. After that, we can look at various modifications and adjustments. I want them to know the amount of supplementation that I'm going to recommend that they take within whatever is affordable to them. I want them to know the kind of dietary changes that they're going to have to make, which are radical. And really, a lot of people... Um, not everyone, obviously, but some people realize that they're just not going to do that, and that's good. That's fine. I mean, but it's important to have a sense of sobriety, I believe, when you initiate this type of work, so that people fully understand the kind of commitment and the dimension uh, of the various areas that need to be, um, you know, uh, worked with. So, 
in a way I say I try to scare them away. I don't really mean that like being nasty or anything, but I, I don't want to I don't leave any stone unturned as to what is out there that has to be addressed. Right. Well, and also, and, you know, as a practitioner, you don't want to work with people who are, you know, not willing to to put in the effort and put in the work and make the changes and then just, you know, waste your time and you don't have good outcomes. And, I mean, that's not that's not fulfilling for you as a practitioner either. So, you know, anybody... This, just, is, this is... Yeah. Excuse me. You know, if you're, in the, if you're in the healing profession, you want to work with people who want to be healed. Exactly. And 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 that's why when people call and say, well, and you know, like I'll say, have the person call me. If they call me, and I don't charge the person to talk about their case and discuss it for a half hour and just get into it and let them know what's involved and become familiar with each other. But if they call me or any practitioner, they're showing some response. They, you know, when a person says, call my friend, they've got this condition. I go, no, I'm not going to call them because I don't even know that they want to talk to me. And and this isn't the kind of you know you can only work with response and. And when a person's responding and they want to change and they're motivated, I mean, I've seen amazing things. I've seen people come out of deathbed situations and and live for 10 years, even even all along battling cancer. And I've seen people that I thought there's no way they're going to fail, and they never apply themselves. So it's very individual. It takes a major commitment and effort to do the alternative cancer work. And I, and I'm yes, going to jump in right, Jim. I'm going to okay. jump in right here and give people your phone number. Um, if you'd like to contact Jim to discuss the situation, his phone number is three six zero seven three four nine seven seven seven. That's three six zero seven three four nine triple seven. And Jim's website is www.yourgoldenhealth.com. So, um, Jim, one other thing I wanted to um, say is that if if someone comes to you and they say, um, okay, I really like the Budwig diet and I want to do mm-hmm. the Budwig diet because I believe it's going to work for me, then do you do you like that? Do you like to say, great, you have a starting point and then build on that, or do you have a program that you prefer people go through? Uh, no, I think I, I'm more of the former. I think that's great. The Budwig diet is, is superb. You know, Joanna Budwig has proven herself. Uh, the flax, uh, the cottage cheese. It's a little tricky to get all of the um, the kind of um, the cottage cheese, particularly that she's a fan of. And uh, and the diet is great. It's a foundation. It's a starting point. I want to encourage that. I can work with that because relative to where a person's coming from, that's a big change to go into the Budwig diet, and it's an excellent diet. And then you add the detoxification, and then you add the emotional work, and then you add the enzyme therapy from Dr. Kelly, and then you look at the hormones, and you start to, you know, round it out a little bit because uh, hormones, you can work with hormones. You can improve hormones. You can you can detoxify excessive hormones. You can use cruciferous vegetables and DIM and, you know, I, IC3 and different things that uh, are very effective at converting undesirable hormones into the preferential hormones. So I try to work with where a person's at, build off of that, and then expand into the other dimensions. And do you do you ever tend to say, okay, well, let's do the baking soda treatment first to just get rid of the tumor and get rid of the, um, you know, the urgency of the cancer, and then move on to the other things, or is it is it really person specific? Uh, no, I think that it's important to integrate the. You know the more pressing issues because if a person has a, a tumor that's immediately life-threatening, uh, which is oftentimes the case because as we talked about before, so often people don't seek alternatives until they're in dire straits, you know, way down the road of progression. Um, so we often deal with the worst-case scenarios. It's very unusual in the alternative cancer field to get people that haven't been, you know, done the medical procedures. Sometimes they're they're effective. Uh, some, most often they're not. Uh, the chemo, the radiation, the various things that can be so damaging and destructive to the body, even though, you know, I'm not saying they don't have a a place in the mix of things. But people are often so damaged by the time they come to see alternative people, practitioners, that you're really picking up pieces. And so applying specific tumor remission techniques I think is very valuable. The key is finding a practitioner who has IV access, you know, a DO, an MD, or an ND, a naturopathic doctor in a licensed state that does IVs. Um, Another excellent uh, approach along with baking soda is glutathione, intravenous glutathione, you know, combined with N-acetylcysteine. 
And so with those techniques, and, and then you need to have intervention-type um, uh, practices available, techniques available. And uh, sometimes people have to travel. Oftentimes people have to travel to find the right people that are doing that type of work. Um, I'm particularly fond of Dr. Huber's work in Phoenix. Uh, she's a naturopathic doctor who uh, does excellent IV therapy and really knows how to apply specifics to, to kind of, um, you know, provide like um, stopgap measures and also is, is very that skilled. Colleen, at is that Colleen Huber? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. She's yeah, very skilled in the area. I've read some articles written by Colleen Huber, so I thought, oh, Huber, mm-hmm. is that the same one? <laughs> yeah, that's Colleen. Is, and she's such a dear, and she's and she's so, you know, capable, as well as being just the most innocent spirit and um, very encompassing person. And um, I would I would highly recommend her work. And, it, you know, you might even want to consider doing an interview with her. Right, yeah, definitely. And then is there... Um, like, say if someone came to work with you, I mean, I understand most of your clients are phone clients, right? So let's say depending on where they're based, is there are there organizations of doctors who uh, you know are going to be using these types of intravenous therapies that you can refer people to so that they can find somebody hopefully in their area? Yes. there's Particularly there's ACAM, um, American College for the Advancement of Medicine, ACAM is the acronym. If you Google them, you'll get their list of doctors. These are all doctors who uh, were originally trained as chelation specialists, so they do intravenous therapy. Some right. of them will be, but at least that's, a, you know, some of them will be open to doing the, the glutathione IVs and uh, um, Simon Sini's work and, uh, you know, that type of thing. Others won't be. So you have to sort of find out who's in your area and go through the list and call and see, see what's available. Now, what's your, what's your thoughts on ozone therapy for cancer? I'm, I think ozone therapy is very viable. Um, with any highly oxidative therapy like oxygen therapy, ozone therapy, hydrogen peroxide therapy, the one thing you want to do is protect uh, the body with uh, adequate antioxidants uh, so that you're not damaging too much, too much uh, along the lines of healthy tissue um, because I've, obviously oxygen doesn't have a brain. But it's very destructive to cancer cells. It's very destructive to viral cells and bacterial cells. It's very antiseptic. Uh, ozone therapy can be administered in different ways, but I think the IV techniques are the best techniques for this type of work. Um, it's been heavily scrutinized by the medical community, so MDs and DOs that have done ozone therapy. When I practiced in Milwaukee, which is where our clinic was, we had a wonderful ozone MD in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and um, she was eventually kind of run out of town. Um, she was quite elderly, so she basically retired. We even had fundraising activities, the holistic community in Wisconsin, to kind of raise, in Chicago to raise money for her defense, but then she opted not to go ahead with the legal proceedings. But all she, and she was doing it for over a decade, very successfully, had a huge practice, but the medical community basically shut her down. So you run into those situations, um, not, you know, doing that type of work in the United States as a licensed MD and DO is fraught with risk. A naturopath that's licensed in a particular state that has IV access, um, that would be an exception. You know, they would be, I, I believe they would be able to do that type of therapy, but um, otherwise it's, it's hard to find ozone therapists in the U.S., Oh, yes, of course, because now that you said that, of course, I, I recall being in so many naturopathic offices here, and it's filled with people who've driven up from the States to get their ozone treatments. Uh-huh, so, so you can do that in cross, Canada. Anybody I, close to the border is going to cross the border into Canada to get their ozone treatments. IV ozone? Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, great. So naturopaths yeah. in Canada are doing IV ozone. Yes. Excellent, excellent, yeah. Yes, they can. So I think ozone is an excellent technique. There are, there are, and putting these things together, you know, uh, the, the baking soda, um, ozone, um, detoxification, um, emotional work. I mean, to me, this is what the this is what alternative cancer therapy is really all about. Right. And I guess no, you know, it would be. I guess the ongoing frustration with people with, you know, of course any therapy that doesn't have a pharmaceutical company funding it is to try and get any kind of stats on success rates or whatnot is is pretty much uh, fruitless because they don't exist. But just in your personal experience, let's say, 
And I know, like you said, you're getting people who are already terribly damaged from the chemo and the radiation and all the medical treatment protocols. So let's go really hypothetical here. Let's say you got someone who'd just been diagnosed with, uh, let's say, pancreatic cancer, who had not gone to the medical protocols yet. What Uh could you put a percent, and let's say they did everything you told them to do, what would be the likelihood of success with that patient? With pancreatic cancer? Yeah. You come up with the toughest uh, right off the bat, Jeannie. (laughs) No, I mean, pancreatic cancer is incredibly difficult to treat. Even, you know, from a medical perspective, there's almost no success whatsoever. And and frankly, I think from an alternative perspective, you're looking at a 10 to 15% type of a success if you really have an ideal situation. Uh, I know that doesn't sound very high, but I'm trying to be brutally realistic about it. Um, I have... Over the years, worked with quite a few pancreatic cancer situations. I've had two who continue to be two long-term survivors. Um, uh, Both these people did do medical work, um, but one of them uh, became very alternative very quickly once he realized his limitations with them. Because when you look up the data on on pancreatic cancer from a medical perspective, it's it's not very encouraging. It's quite discouraging. Uh, There's almost no chance of survival. So it's one of the really more severe. And, you know, it's interesting you bring it up because this is one of Kelly's points, Dr. Kelly. The reason why pancreatic cancer is so extremely difficult to treat successfully is because the pancreas produces the enzyme called chymotrypsin, which is the enzyme that he felt the immune system used to digest cancer cells before they became full-blown tumor, you know, metastatic-type cellular activity or tumor activity. So chymotrypsin is a primary proteolytic enzyme of the pancreas. Now, there's an interesting little history here, which um, I think your listeners might enjoy knowing about. It's called, it it goes back to Dr. Krebs, the famous uh, Dr. Krebs and Beard, uh, who were two uh, biologists in Germany, uh, well-known world-class biologists, and they discovered that tissue tumors are loaded with placental tissue. They're loaded with placenta high percentages of placenta and they call technically placenta is called trophoblast so they call this the trophoblastic theory of cancer and this is the entire basis of the kelly program and everybody who uses enzymes whether they know it or not this what i'm going to the story i'm going to tell you here is all about why enzymes are used in cancer therapy and how come they can be why they can be so effective beard and krebs knew that in embryonic physiology that when a baby's pancreas developed, it secreted chymotrypsin, which shut down the growth of the placenta. Without the development of the baby's pancreas and the secretion of chymotrypsin, the placenta would continue to grow. There's a name for that that escapes you right now, and it's a you know it, it ends up obviously in a miscarriage, a faulty pregnancy. It's a very uh, clear-cut uh, early cancer warning signal uh, to the to the mother, and that there's something wrong here with enzymes. But basically, the chymotrypsin stops the growth of the placenta. And in Chinese medicine, the spleen and the liver are the mother and the father, and the pancreas is the firstborn or the first son, of course, in Chinese systems. Um, And so the pancreas is the third internal organ in this sense to develop. So Krebs and Beard theorized over 100 years ago that you could use chymotrypsin to destroy tumors, because just like chymotrypsin destroyed placental, to stop the growth of the placenta, chymotrypsin could be used therapeutically to literally digest tumor cells or stop the growth of the tumor. And Kelly used, yeah, Kelly used, that's his whole thing, is that he used chymotrypsin and enzyme concentrates to cure himself of pancreatic cancer, by the way. And uh, early in the process, and and the the two people that I have that are long-term pancreatic cancer survivors um, took massive dosages of chymotrypsin to get their situation under control. And Kelly would put people on 40 enzyme tablets a day. I mean, massive dosages because you don't absorb enzymes efficiently. They're treated, they're proteins technically, but they're living proteins. They have life force. You cannot make enzymes in a test tube. You can only extract them. From you know, from raw foods, raw materials, um, and glands and organs in slaughterhouses, and, and chymotrypsin is actually extracted from the pancreas of uh, cows and pigs um, in right. slaughterhouses. So uh, Kelly, and then uh, Dr. Harold Manners at Loyola University, who was the head of the biology department there in the 70s in Chicago, 
he was so fascinated with all of this alternative cancer stuff that he set up an elaborate study using, um, he must have had 20 graduate students that were part of this. I was at the news conference where he introduced all the graduate students in Chicago, and they took all the known alternative cancer remedies at that time, Laetrile, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E. You know, they didn't use vitamin D then because nobody knew about the tremendous anti-carcinogenic characteristics of vitamin D. Uh, enzymes, et cetera, et cetera. He must have had a dozen different alternatives, natural alternative so-called cancer remedies. And they cross-referenced these things. They had hundreds of different combinations of these different substances. And the one thing that they noted across the board was every group of mice, and he used mice with spontaneous breast tumors, not transplanted, spontaneous breast tumors. And this went on for a long time. Every group of mice that received chymotrypsin, and they injected it, um, had tremendous improvement in their cancers and a high rate of remission. They didn't really get great results with Laetrile. They didn't get good results with C. They didn't get good results with vitamin A, et cetera. But, boy, with enzymes, uh, they did. And when my wife and I, we were at the news conference. Karen and I were at the news conference in Chicago. CBS was there. You know, uh, uh, the Chicago local stations were there, et cetera. And it never got into the into the paper the next day. Uh, it, was, it received no publicity whatsoever. And this was like 1978 or something like that. And we're thinking, what is going on here? Uh, this is a really interesting study. But that's why enzymes are used, because they basically um, they can be very influential in the activity of placental tissue, and most tissue, t- tissue tumors are loaded with placenta. Well, then why don't, why don't people inject the enzymes into humans? Why are they all taking them in pill form? Well, that's exactly the question I asked Ernesto Contreras when I was in, uh, at a conference with him in, in Colorado uh, years ago because he was one of the earlier one, you know, cancer clinics in Mexico, and they were doing good work. And he said that it was so painful, this and that, and I just thought, forget it. You know, use xylocaine or whatever, numb the tissue, inject those enzymes. That's exactly how they should be. They should be introduced, injected right into the tissue. Absolutely. Nobody's doing it. As I understood it at the time, in research circles, that's forbidden. You're not allowed to inject enzymes into tumor tissues. And Uh, people say, well, what do you mean that's forbidden? Well, here's another interesting anecdote to the whole thing. There's this pathologist. This is about three years ago uh, in in one of the major hospitals in London. And you see, pathologists are not permitted to do cultures and sensitivities and toxicology reports on tumors. All they're allowed to do is report on the cancer cell activity what kind of cancer cell it is, how aggressive it is, that kind of stuff. They're not allowed to take that tumor tissue and do a culture, do a sensitivity study, do a toxicology, look for chemicals, look for hormones, look for heavy metals. None of that's allowed. So this gentleman, which it it cost him his job, on his own, he did 600 samples privately. Nobody knew he was doing this. And he finds out that the, and they were all breast cancer tumors, and he finds out that these breast cancer tumors are loaded with fungus, just like um, Simoncini uh, says they are, and that they're loaded with um, chemicals from deodorants, like aluminum and other compounds from deodorants. Well, you know, you shave your armpits, you paint on right, deodorants and antiperspirants. And, I mean, it's, so it cost him his job, but and it, was, it was the rage of the scientific community for about a month, and then it just faded away. And still nobody's really looking into this to find out, you know, what's going on with these tumors? What do they consist of? You know, why don't we look at the heart? Why doesn't the heart get cancer? You know, the, the heart, it does. There's, there are one or two cases of, of heart cancer, primary heart cancer a year, but it's almost completely immune from cancer. Why don't we look at why? You know, the eyeball is almost immune from cancer. Of course, the vitreous is primarily vitamin C. The, the jelly part of the eye is overwhelmingly um, laden with vitamin C, uh, the heart has extremely high concentrations of CoQ10. Um, the Japanese have speculated on why the heart doesn't get cancer. Um, you know, we got to start asking some questions that really make a difference here in, in our research and, and what we're looking at. Well, exactly. And in if we could have you know a scientific community that was actually motivated by health and not money, we might be asking those questions and doing that research, but, you know, until then, we just, we press on and we do what we can, right? But, I mean, 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. Why? Why? Exactly, and, yeah. and that's very worthy. I sometimes I just get a little worked up when I think about all the things that could be done. But you know, if if a exactly. cure for cancer, if a cure for cancer was actually discovered, it would throw the Western world into an immediate state of recession. You know, <laughs> we're talking significant percentages of the GDP of the United States are directly tied into the cancer business. Exactly. It's a business. And you, and you have to be aware of that. I'm not saying that the medical community hasn't done good work in certain regards and that they haven't gotten really good with their chemo, and they have. And there are some cancers that definitely respond to chemo. I'm not saying that their radiation therapy hasn't been improved and the technology isn't vastly superior to what it was years ago. It is. But that's all they're looking at. Same thing with the surgical techniques. You know, they're much better than they used to be. But there's more to it. And like we were talking about before, it's it's a systemic and um, chemistry that's overriding. There's a reason why one-third of Americans contract cancer and, you know, 50% of our population is precancerous. I mean, we've created it with our lifestyles, which are highly carcinogenic. Yes. And and you really see that, like for myself, I'm, I'm the mother of three and two of them are in school. And, uh, you know, we have a reputation throughout the school already for being, you know, the oddball family because we don't go along with all of the things that are considered normal for these kids, you know. Well, it's normal for them to have massive amounts of sugar and chemicals and, you know, and, and we don't, we just, we do whatever it takes to, to really reduce or, you know, minimize that load on our kids and, you know, you know, you go to the beach, and what's everybody having? They're having nitrate-containing hot dogs and um, <laughs> chemical sugar-laden popsicles, and you know, so every single event that's connected with the kids' lives is basically setting the stage for cancer and you know, intestinal diseases and all the rest of it. And you know, you reach a point and you say to the kids, you know what? We, we just this just can't go on because. You know, even though in the home they're eating organic, unprocessed food, outside the home their exposure is now to the point where it's becoming a significant factor in their health. Yes, totally, totally. So, we raise our kids the same way. We never immunize them ever. They've never had an antibiotic. Now they're in their twenties. You know, we force them into a lifestyle when they were older and they were teenagers. And you're you're going to cross this bridge, Jeannie. <laughs> you can't control all those things, you know. But you build that foundation, and and you know they've all gravitated back to it now. They're in their 28, 26, and 24, uh, our three children, um, and they've all gravitated back to a naturalistic lifestyle that they kind of grew up with. Um, yeah. And like Emerson said, or was it Emerson? I don't know. If everybody thinks you're crazy, you're probably headed in the right direction. That's um, yeah. all been one. Of, that's one of my favorites yeah. because, yeah, I mean the the norm out there, like Linus Pauling said, normal health means that you're vertical, warm, and about to get a cold. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good enough. And normal is deadly. Yes. <laughs> you're, you know, you're absolutely coochie. right. <laughs> coochie, it's true, uh, and 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 the general quote health of the population in North America has declined so far that when you look around you and you think, oh, these are normal, healthy people, they're not. These are like very sick, ill people because the standard of normal, healthy has disappeared from view. Yeah. It's, it's totally. not there. It's not there. And then when you look at the size of the Americans who are eating the standard American diet, you know, the acronym, of course, is SAD. Um, the obesity, you know, the, the, the type 2 diabetes, the cancer, the heart disease. I mean, this is just good for business. This is great for the business of, of treatment, um, unfortunately, including alternatives. I mean, alternative health care is booming. You know, regular health care is booming. Doctors' are, offices are filled with people. Alternative practitioners, are people are waiting in line. Um, it's... <laughs> It's unfortunately it's um it's good for business to create a very, very unhealthy population. And we've done it. Um and it's done in spades right now. Uh Coochie, the macrobiotic person, um I'm trying to think of his first name. Um he maybe you're familiar with him. He's sort of the, the Japanese doctor who introduced macrobiotics into North America, the Coochie Institute. Oh, yeah. In his book on Oriental Facial Diagnosis he has a quote in there which um, I just rivets uh, in my mind, and 
and that is the I should say reverberates. He says, civilization is the disease, cancer is the cure. Huh. Very. I know. Civil. It's like one of those um, Zen, you know, commentaries. Yeah. Civilization no. is the disease, cancer is the cure. Yeah. Michel because Kuti, cancer is what forces people to get back to holistic, some would say primitive dietary uh, parameters. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, and it's 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 one way of you know nature clears out the weak, you know, so to speak. Um, and um, or the misinformed in this case. Or, yeah, because I mean, so it, much it, of it, what so much of what you see people doing, the damages their health. You see, everybody's on cordless phones. They don't understand that a cordless phone carries almost the same radiation load as a cell phone. Then they right. take these cell phones and they give them to their kids. Why are brain tumor rates in kids up 600% in the last 20 years? They don't know. It's so much of this stuff, and I say to my kids, well, you know, we don't have cell phones because of this. And, no, well, we don't, I don't buy that stuff because of this. And they say, well, how come nobody else knows this? And I don't know what to say to them. I, I, I say because... I said, because, I don't know, because they don't research anything. You know, I, I really don't know why so many more people, I mean, I guess they're relying just on the mainstream newspapers and their TV evening news, which, of course, are completely controlled by, you know, the pharmaceutical and great big agribusiness concerns and everybody who has a vested interest in keeping the population uh, ill, really. Yeah, really. It's good for business to create a precancerous population a third of whom develop cancer, the other 50% develop heart disease. You know, I mean, you could go on and on and look at the things that we've decided. I mean, I saw the thing on PBS about the history of the car, and I didn't know that in the early 1900s they had massive demonstrations in New York trying to ban cars because they weren't used to the carnage, the dead people, the maimed people, the injured people. You know, automobiles have killed more people than just about anything, uh, more than all the wars, um, not more than cancer or heart disease, but automobiles. We have so many things in our culture that we just accept out of out of habit, out of conditioning, yeah. out of basically being brainwashed. All cultures, you know, brainwash their people, so to speak. Um, and ours has taken some very, our culture has taken some very interesting turns over the last uh, hundred years that have led to a, a, a highly carcinogenic culture uh, and a culture um, that's rife with uh, heart disease. As Dean Ornish, who I think is one of the best cardiologists out there, and he wrote the book Reversing Heart Disease, and he's got the data to support it. He does it basically through diet um, and some supplements now, because he was anti-supplementation at first. I don't know if you're aware of Dr. Ornish's work or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah. It's, a, it's an alkaline diet, like we're talking about with cancer therapy. He's putting people on tons of fruits and vegetables, you know, alkalizing their system. He doesn't refer to it as that. He's looking more at the cardiovascular specifics, but it is a highly alkalizing diet. But he says that the coronary bypass is a metaphor for men in our culture where their hearts are bypassed emotionally first and then physiologically uh, secondarily. Right, yeah. And so it's, it's a, it takes you right back to the emotion. The Pardon? I said the body follows the mind. Of course it does, especially when it's deep-seated, you know, not just surface chatter but really deep-seated emotional things. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, well, and and if you don't choose an alternative lifestyle, if you don't make changes, the nature of which we're discussing here, specific to cancer, but, you know, it relates to everything, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis or heart disease or whatever the case, alkalizing, changing body chemistry, detoxification, you know, the right type of supplemental therapy, um, treating target organs as much as you possibly can, um, whether it's Crohn's, it's 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 all basically fundamentally uh, you're dealing with the same type of um, of treatment options. Yeah. Of protocols and, you're, and strategies. You're dealing with the same roots of imbalance, no matter what the actual disease is displayed as in the body. Exactly, Jeannie. I mean, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think if you don't, I think the other the other thing I just want to highlight really quickly that you've said earlier. Because a lot of people, you know, when they think about alkaline diets, um, they go vegetarian. But as you said, if meat and fish are not cooked, they are alkaline. And if you look at, you know, we get back to the work of Weston Price, who went and looked at the traditional cultures 
who are very healthy and free of, you know, basically any degenerative disease, and they all consumed meat or fish raw in right. some form or another, and some of them in the case of the Eskimos in massive amounts. But again, right. they would eat the organ meat first, and the muscle, which is all that we eat, were left right. last. So we've it's really true. gotten up really backwards in, in most of our dietary practices. Totally. And I think I mentioned this in our previous uh, podcast. Um, my first teacher, Mr. Irons, Victor Earl Irons, he was a pioneer. He was put in jail in 1959, sentenced to a year in jail for making health claims about fiber. <clears throat> he sat six months in a federal penitentiary. Um, but he ate half his foods raw. He was cured of his ankylosing spondylitis, which is a form of uh, spinal column rheumatoid arthritis, by Paul Bragg going on raw food therapy um, and fasting, cleansing, and detoxification, changing his body chemistry, the same kind of things we're talking about here. Um, and I'd go out to dinner with him, and I'd watch him eat a raw filet mignon, you know. Um, yeah. we, in the, this was in the 70s, so we weren't, there wasn't organics available like now. But uh, even where I grew up in Milwaukee, we ate cannibal sandwiches, um, which is very German, you know, the steak a la tatar type of a thing, uh, yeah. which was to us was a raw beef on rye. Um, and of course, the French add the egg yolk, the raw egg yolk and the capers, and it's pretty, that's, yeah, raw. And, and Mr. Irons lived till he was 98, and he fathered his last son when he was 80. Um, and when he died, he had an 18-year-old son, two daughters in their 20s, and a 76-year-old son from his first marriage. He married his second wow. wife when he was 72 and she was 28. <laughs> I guess that raw food works. <laughs> I guess Surely he had some vitality, him. hey? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he was well, Mr. This Energy. Been, mm-hmm. This has been just great, Jim, and I think you've given uh, people a lot of really valuable information and um even people who are just concerned about cancer prevention, you've given us, you know, some really good things to keep in mind that we can start changing in our, you know, lives and diets today, like start addressing our emotional issues. You know, big red flag if there's anybody you haven't forgiven. And then the whole thing about the diet, like just moving to a more alkaline um, diet with that. So thank you very much for, again, all your pearls of wisdom. And I want to give everybody again your website, which is www dot yourgoldenhealth.com so that's your as in y-o-u-r goldenhealth.com and you can also reach Jim for a chat about your situation um, at any time telephone number is 360-734-9777 thanks again Jim for a wonderful uh, discussion on the natural cancer treatments well, thanks for having me, Jeannie. My pleasure.